Welcome to the Sooners Extra Podcast, powered by the Oklahoma, and I'm your host, Ryan Aber, joined today by Jenny Carlson and Justin Martinez, and uh, guys, what a day, what a week, uh, what a last two weeks it's been, but now we have the official news that uh, the SEC has officially extended the invite to Texas and Oklahoma. We're recording uh, right after the announcement on Thursday afternoon. Uh, Jenny, uh, what's your biggest takeaway about where we are right now uh, in the midst of all everything that's gone on with OU to the SEC? Life comes at you fast, guys. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this, here we are on a Thursday and last Wednesday, so eight days ago, you know, we woke up and this wasn't even a thing. And uh, here we are, and it's it's now done. I mean, obviously, there's there's some details, some fairly big ones yet to be determined in, in terms of timing and whether OU and Texas remain in the Big 12 until the end of the, the current broadcast deal through 2025. But, um, you know, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. So now how does how, do, how does this become untangled? Uh, how quickly does that happen? That that's a that's a big question mark. But clearly a a seismic shift day for both schools to um you know no longer be in the big 12 after you know a quarter of a century to now be headed towards the sec and you know for ou likely life without oklahoma state uh for texas life resumes with texas a&m so you know lots of big changes ahead but uh yeah clearly clearly a a huge day uh, the formality of tomorrow with the regents meetings for both schools to, I assume, rubber stamp this move. Uh, but still, big stuff going on for both schools. Yeah, I, and and I think uh, I'm with you there, Jenny, on your last point that tomorrow, Friday, is just about rubber stamping things. I mean, heck, uh, OU in Texas asked for the invite. They got the invite. Uh, now I guess they have to accept the invite. I know it's <laughs> they have to uh, go through the proper procedures. The, the regents are the ones that ultimately have the the power, but there's no indication that that will be anything uh, more than a rubber stamp. Uh, Justin, uh, w- what about you from from your your perspective, uh, especially? One, uh, you know, being from Texas and uh, being around that environment, uh, how do you you feel like uh, the the Texas folks, the folks that you were around in Texas, um, both Texas fans and otherwise, uh, feel about this move right now? Yeah, well, I guess I I haven't formally said it, but I might as well. I am a UT grad for everybody out there, hopefully. (laughs) Uh, people continue to listen to this podcast. <laughs> I know you're tiptoeing around it. Uh, hopefully, people continue to listen after that. But, uh, but yeah, I know kind of the sense that I've got. And actually, I just went home uh, this past weekend and was hanging out with family, all of which are uh, Longhorn fans. And really, the sense is the same as as what you've heard from the Oklahoma fans is that you know it's a matter of uh, of moving up, going up to tougher competition. But at the end of the day, that helps with recruiting. Obviously, more money in the programs as pockets, things like that. So there's just as much excitement on Texas' side as there is for Oklahoma. And, and Justin, we've spent a lot of time talking about it these last, uh, since, well, last eight days. 
since this news broke that uh, this was a possibility. How quickly do you anticipate uh, this happening? And has that opinion changed at all since uh, things got kicked off here last Wednesday? Yeah, I definitely was surprised with just how quickly it moved. Um, especially, you know, at first there were reports that, you know, some teams were going to be hard-nosed uh, in terms of SEC teams um, wanting to extend that invite. So just, I guess, how quickly the rest of the SEC kind of, you know, came to terms with it, accepted it because it was a unanimous decision to invite them. Um, so that, to me, was the most interesting part, just seeing how quickly everybody had to get on board with it. Because at the end of the day, any teams that didn't want OU in Texas, there were only one or two, A&M being the main one. And it's, it's just a matter of, you know, accepting it, saving face a little bit by voting to approve it. Um, but that was something I found pretty interesting. Yeah, Jenny, that's uh, been one of the things that we've talked about a lot, uh, whether it's been in these podcasts or uh, the, the other podcasts we've done or, or radio interviews. I, I know you've uh, uh, done a few and uh, it seems like the, the phone never stops ringing hmm. there. Uh, were you surprised that A&M ultimately landed on the side of, of voting yes uh, to uh, extend this invite and, and didn't hold out, even if it wound up being a symbolic vote against? Yeah, you know, at, at the start, if you'd have said, you know, is this going to be a unanimous vote if it gets to the point of, of the schools voting? I would have said no. I mean, clearly Texas A&M let this out of the bag, tried to, you know, tried to push the issue. They, they uh, I don't know if they knew how far along Things had progressed at that point with the the fact finding and the conversations happening behind the scenes between OU Texas and and the SEC. Obviously, that was kept to a very small group of people to to you know try to avoid what ended up happening in the news leaking. Um, they knew that that was a high probability if a lot of people knew. So not very many people knew. So you know clearly A and M trying to you know to to do what they could in that moment to maybe slow things down or, or cause there to be, you know, bumps that might derail it entirely. Um, and obviously when that happens, you suspect, well, you know, clearly A&M will vote against it. And then you start to think about who else might not be all that excited about, you know, new, uh, new division alignment in the SEC. You know, you think about Mississippi suddenly finding themselves, you know, facing what looks to be a pretty tough division, both, Mississippi State and Ole Miss, maybe they vote against it. Missouri, maybe they're not all that excited about having, you know, their old Big 12 buddies join the, the SEC. But ultimately, and, and I think, too, this was also there was also a question of, you know, Greg Sankey, not as long term a commissioner as uh, Mike Slive before him, Roy Kramer before Mike Slive. So, you know, how much top down control was there? I think the SEC's long been known as a conference that, their conference office held a ton of sway. And basically, if they said it, everybody else just fell in line. So that was also a question of, you know, how did how did that leadership look uh, with uh, with Sankey at the controls? And ultimately, in the end, it looks like it is still, you know, very much whatever the uh, the leadership decides. And I think also, guys, it's worth pointing out that when you start to hear these numbers, Obviously, we know that the increase in per 
per conference school payout is going to be substantially more for OU in Texas, probably in excess of $20 million more a year. But it's also going to be significantly larger for the schools already in the SEC, you know, something like $16 million more. So when you start to hear those numbers, maybe that's even enough to bring around a, you know, hesitant, uh, grumbly Texas A&M. And they say, you know what? We like $16 million as much as the next guy. Bring him on. So I think that had to, to play a part in it as well. But obviously, it's fascinating, the uh, inner workings of, of the SEC and its politics. And I'm sure, you know, now that we're going to start to cover that more closely, it'll be something we become a lot more attuned to as time goes on. Yeah, no doubt about it. And Jenny, you mentioned uh, the, the SEC's power structure the way it has been. Yes, under Roy Kramer and Mike Slive, everything was really consolidated in uh, Birmingham, I, I think. I can't remember if their headquarters are actually in Birmingham or Hoover, uh, I, but Bir- Birmingham, I believe. But, uh, you know, for for so long, it was about, you know, the arguments that they would have are behind closed doors. But once the door opens, everything is a unanimous front. And I, I think that certainly uh, that uh, feeling and thought has trickled down to, to Greg Sankey now uh, and the other the other members. Obviously, Texas A&M didn't want this from a non-financial uh, perspective because of recruiting and uh, prestige and, and other things and the fact that they left the Big 12 largely to get away from Texas. Now, some of those issues aren't going to be uh, uh, viable in the SEC. Uh, you know, there's no, you're not going to be a Longhorn network. We'll see exactly what uh, that looks like if they just ESPN just kills it off or makes it into basically SEC network too. I mean, heck, you could certainly see a SEC West network and an SEC East network or whatever structure it winds up taking. But I don't think there was much surprise to me that the vote winds up being unanimous because of that history in the SEC, because of the money involved, and because it became very apparent very quickly that schools like Missouri and Arkansas weren't going to go uh, along with A&M, and they needed one more in addition to those two, and it was just not viable for them to get four votes to keep Texas and Oklahoma out. So. We'll see how that looks here uh, moving forward. Justin, uh, we talk about recruiting, and, and you know, so much of the, the focus on this has been about money. What do you think about the recruiting aspect of OU's move to the SEC and how quickly we see uh, any benefits or changes uh, on, on that side? Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, that's that's sort of a staple of the SEC teams is recruiting pitch is that, you know, you're you're joining a conference that's as good as it gets in the country. You know, if you really want to 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 go and, you know, make a name for yourself at the highest level when it comes to college football, then you want to go to the SEC. And that's kind of been the pitch. And now Oklahoma is going to be able to to deliver that same statement to, you know, potential prospects. Um and I mean, I, I can see why it would be uh, something that would be a plus, maybe pushing people over the edge that are maybe leaning towards like, you know, Oklahoma State or 
uh, you know, some other just in-state or nearby options that aren't in the SEC anymore. Definitely being in a conference like this is, is going to help them out. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about it. Jenny, uh, sticking with the recruiting aspect of things, obviously such a big focus of uh, Lincoln Riley as he's uh, put his stamp on this program has been on the defensive side. Uh, after Mike Stoops' firing a couple years ago, brings aboard Alex Grinch, really made an effort to, to concentrate on recruiting on that side of the ball. It's been difficult at times for OU to convince big-time defensive players, especially big-time defensive linemen, uh, to, to come to Norman. Um, heck, the last like really big-time one they got out of high school was Gerald McCoy. That's been a long time ago, and they had the benefit of Gerald McCoy uh, being a local guy, so you didn't have to quite sway him as much as some others. How big of a difference do you get the sense this is going to be for OU recruiting when it comes to the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, I think it remains to be seen. I mean, I think it it will likely bring in um, might, you know, bring some guys, I assume it'll bring some guys in for official visits that, you know, might not have had OU as an official, but we know OU is, you know, they're recruiting nationally, strong emphasis regionally, but they're recruiting nationally. So we know that that isn't something new. Um, I think the, the, the interesting part is going to be, do we see, do we see OU defensively start to crank out, uh, NFL, uh, draft picks, NFL players with the same type of regularity and, frankly, high uh, high draft value that we've seen on the offensive side. I mean, clearly, uh, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, you know, they're obviously those are the, the, the big ones, but it's not just limited to quarterbacks. But you just haven't seen the volume of defensive players being drafted first round, uh, first two days. I mean, the the numbers you see uh, coming out of the SEC and not just Bama, but lots of the SEC schools, it, it frankly puts not just OU, but everyone in the Big 12 to shame in some regards. And I think that if you're a defensive player, you know, you obviously you want to win ball games, uh, you know, but you it, it, most of these guys that are talking about playing at OU Texas SEC schools, they want to play in the NFL. And so to have the track record that so many of these SEC schools have developed, even the ones that aren't necessarily winning a ton of games, that's still very very important to recruits. So OU's got to start, you know, it, it's not only about the about the conference affiliation, but they got to start producing these, you know, numbers of draftees on, you know, the NFL draft time. It's not just one or two or three. They've got to do it in a fairly big number and consistently. We've started to see that, you know, happen, but it's got to continue because I think the SEC uh, brand carries some power, but ultimately, if a kid is going to, if a recruit's going to OU and then the next day they're going to LSU and then the next day they're going to Florida, I mean, there's some numbers that some of these schools that aren't maybe as uh, successful over the last decade, they can pull out and point to the success that their 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 players have had in the draft and OU just doesn't have that. So uh, I think it's going to have to not, they can't just lean on SEC 
to be the thing that wins guys over. They got to start getting those guys into the draft and, and playing big parts on NFL teams on a regular basis. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a massive deal. And I think they're heading in the right direction. I mean, heck, you look at uh, the last couple of years, obviously, uh, Kenneth Murray, uh, a high pick a couple of years ago. Uh, I, I think yeah. there's uh, some expectation that Perrion Winfrey's got a chance to be uh, a, a really good pick uh, coming up here. Uh, you know, they had Ronnie Perkins, obviously. I think they're getting better. But I, I think what this is going to help them do is sort of, one, get them into some more living rooms that they haven't maybe uh, been able to get into because of guys looking to the future, looking to the NFL and seeing the numbers that, hey, even if you go to, you know, a, an SEC school that isn't Alabama or isn't Georgia, you've got a chance to, to be a really high draft pick on the defensive side because of the depth of that league and the way that that league prepares you. Um, and, and I think there's been a lot of people who've been skeptical of whether Oklahoma could do that. They've been able to overcome that in a lot of cases, but I think this is going to help them overcome it in much more and really accelerate this change that Alex Grinch has uh, been such a big part of. Now, obviously it's going to get, the road's going to get tougher, and uh, they're, they're going to have to be significantly better. But I think they're in a good position and sort of uh, had a good uh, ramp up to get there. You know, we'll see what the exact timeline winds up being. I think most of us expect it to either be 2022 or 2023 at the latest when OU makes that leap. But certainly this is a, a move that could start helping the Sooners on the recruiting trail now even though uh, these players might open their careers in the Big 12. Uh, Justin, what do you think happens to the other eight schools? And, you know, what does that say for how quickly uh, this whole thing, the actual move to the SEC winds up happening? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the big question now, now that we know that, you know, it is something that, that is going to happen. Um, what is going to happen to the Oklahoma States of the world? What is going to happen to the TCUs, to all these other teams? Um, you know, if, if I had to guess, I would say that it, it's it's likely that maybe they're going to move on to another conference. That's just kind of the gut feeling that I have. Obviously, the Big 12 is going to do its best to, to stabilize itself. Um, but... You know, I don't know. It's it's tough when the two faces of the conference have now moved on. You know, you're going to have to um, sort of find a new identity for the whole conference. And that's going to be interesting to see what they're able to do. Um, or if I don't know how many teams are still wanting to stay. I really haven't heard too much about um, any team saying, you know, we're going to kind of make sure that we see it through um, in the Big 12. I don't know if you guys have really seen anything from any schools so far in regard to that. I haven't seen it from the schools, Justin, seen it from the big 12. I don't know. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't know what, I don't know if the, the big 12 offices are talking in terms of what they hope happens or if mm -hmm. that's what they perceive will happen. I think that remains to be seen. I mean, it is in addition to the question of how quickly 
could OU and Texas be playing in the SEC? That's the other big question to me that's still unanswered is, do the teams that are left in the Big 12 want to make a run at continuing as a conference together, likely with some additional members, or are they going to splinter? I assume that the pull to splinter is going to be really powerful. Um, and without an obvious, you know, leader or leaders in the Big 12, I mean, obviously Bob Bowlesby's the commissioner, but I'm talking about at the school level. OU in Texas held that position for so long. Now that's gone. Who steps in and are they able to rally enough support quick enough to make uh, uh, you know, a future for the Big 12 viable. Lots of questions there. And I, I'm, I'm with you, Justin. I don't, I don't hear it from the individual schools necessarily. So I don't know what to believe. It, it sounds good coming from the conference in a statement. You know, we, we we're standing together or whatever they've said over the last few days. But I just don't know if that's the reality right now. Yeah. And I, you know, to me, I sort of think about the, those statements that uh, that have been released by the Big 12 by Bob Bowlesby over these last couple of days and, and sort of uh, think about, uh, you know, Baghdad Bob back in the day, the guy sitting over there saying, oh, everything's all right uh, here in Iraq. Um, everything's all right here in the Big 12. We're going to uh, keep things uh keep things together i just don't see it happening i i think someone whether that's oklahoma state whether it's kansas uh is going to get an offer that they feel like they need to jump at and i think that once one of these programs happens uh and does that that uh there's going to be sort of a cascading effect as everybody looks to find a life raft and unless the Big 12 as a group uh, and, and as a conference office is able to find a spot, uh, whether that's a merger with the Pac-12 that's been discussed or the AAC, whatever, if they're able to find something that, that keeps the group together, maybe. But I, I just get the feeling that uh, they're not going to be able to do it for long enough uh to keep uh this this group intact yeah i mean i think it i think it is going to be really hard ryan and and i think you're right i think the you know at the first sign that somebody is going to jump ship you know i don't know if that's west virginia you know finding a landing spot in the acc i don't know if that's uh you know you've heard a lot of talk about kansas and iowa state being interesting to the big 10 um, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, potentially to the Pac-12. You know, I don't know. I don't know what the first domino is, but it doesn't feel like it would take much before before it would all start to fall. So, it, I, I like I said, I don't have a sense of who who makes the first move, but it it just feels like it's nearly inevitable that there'll be something that happens that starts the uh, starts the process. Yeah, I, I think that that's it's it's just a matter of time there. Justin, what'd you make about uh, Bob Bowlesby ESPN back and forth uh, <laughs> on Wednesday? Yeah, um, it's funny. That's just one other thing that, like I said, I was on vacation this week. So I come back and I feel like I've just 
you know, emerge from a cave and it's like, what did I miss? All these things have gone on. That's just one of the many uh, little tidbits. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I think it's interesting. Obviously, it's it's in Oklahoma and Texas's best interest. If the Big 12 were to dissolve, they would get to avoid a lot of these uh, a lot of these costs. Um, so, yeah, that's, it's just interesting to see, uh, you know, at this point, everything's uh, come to light. You know, there's no more secrets at this point. Everything's getting aired out. Um, and yeah, that's just, uh, one of the interesting angles of it. Yeah. And you can't, you can't undersell the fact that these, you know, th- these are, these are partners, the big 12 and ESPN, you know, shots across the bow. You don't see that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, like this is, this is just, I mean, we're, there's so many parts of this that if, if they happened in a vacuum, we'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this, but there's just so much happening that, you know, the the magnitude of something like that, you sort of forget. You're like, oh, yeah, that happened. So I don't know who writes the, you know, the book on this, uh, you know, two week period. I don't know who does the whatever the 30 for 30 equivalent is. But, man, there's going to be a lot of moving parts to that story. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's uh, this story isn't going to die anytime soon. Um, you know, I, I think back to the with what you just said there, Jenny, the Howard Schnellenberger days about uh, books will be written and movies made about this era. I mean, that we're in one of those times yeah. where this legitimately will happen. Um, be fascinating to see what happens moving forward. But our expectation is that Friday, the OU and Texas Board of Regents will uh, sort of put the rubber stamp on things and uh, get the ball officially moving We'll see how quickly uh, any kind of settlement talks or uh, payout talks and and timeline talks happen. But uh, we're going to take a quick break here on the Sooners Extra podcast. We're going to be back. Uh, I'm going to talk to Jeff Patterson, uh, uh, talking about looking forward into the SEC, the reality of it, and uh, what OU fans can expect from the football environments, the cities that they're going to visit. Uh, things like that. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra podcast. We're now joined by a special guest uh, with some background in the SEC. Uh, My boss, sports editor, uh, Jeff Patterson. Jeff, uh, thanks for joining us this afternoon. It's, you know, it's always good to be here in SEC country, Ryan, <laughs> here in the heart of Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's going to take a little bit of getting used to, to uh, uh, think of it like that. But uh, cer- certainly it is the reality now. Uh, Jeff, you're a guy with a, a lot of SEC background. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, where you grew up, uh, went to school, uh, things like that. Yeah, so I'm, um, you know, I was born in Lexington, Kentucky, and spent the first 20 some odd years of my life there because I graduate, you know, I went to college at UK as well, and then um, this lovely journalism <laughs> uh, mercenary career has taken me all over the place. But um, yeah, so I grew up in, um, you know, in SEC country back when we had Jefferson Pilot. Game of the week uh, <laughs> every Saturday. Kentucky time. and Kentucky played on them quite often because um, the Cats weren't all that great. 
uh, in football uh, growing up. We had season tickets as a kid, so um, I, I've seen a lot of uh, interesting moments throughout the years in, uh, in, in Kentucky football lore, but um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a passionate fan base um, as far as the league goes. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I am like a lot of people. I do find the SEC chant kind of funny. I mean, it's, you know, a verbal equivalent of horns down or, you know, like Louisville would do their L's up and, of course, Kentucky would always flip them to do their L's down. Um, but, you know, it it's a lot of, you know, good fan bases. Um, you know, Nashville is always fun to visit. Um, I think OU fans and, and Texas fans as well, um, they're going to they're gonna enjoy these new football rivalries for sure. Yeah, and that's uh, the, the thing I wanted to, to chat with you about. Uh, obviously, you've been to a, a fair amount of SEC uh, places. Uh, for those who don't know, I I have too spent some time covering Arkansas back in the uh, Houston Nut, uh, Matt Jones, Darren McFadden, Felix Jones, Peyton Hillis era, and uh, got to experience a little bit of a lot of SEC uh, cities. But uh, you you certainly have as well. Uh, let, let's start off with the, the football side of things. And I ranked uh, the the 14 SEC programs before OU Texas uh, earlier this week, looking at uh, their their football atmospheres, football environments. Uh, to me, LSU is a pretty clear uh, number one, but there are a lot of really good ones in this league. Yeah, I mean, even you know, it's kind of like Major League Baseball these days, where there really aren't bad stadiums. Um, you know, like we had that big stadium boom in the 90s, starting well, with Baltimore. Tampa Bay still exists. Yeah, Tampa Bay and Oakland still exist, but that's really it. Like, you know, Cincinnati always falls in like the mid-teens, and you know, it has its charm. Like every place has its charm now, uh, other than obviously Tampa, which um, you know, as, as of us recording this podcast, Garrett Cole gave up a pop-up right above home plate and they got stuck <laughs> stuck in the roof <laughs> so um but the sec like even the bad ones looking at you vanderbilt has a lot of positives because you're in nashville and you know i think ou fans who travel for football which you know a ton of folks will travel getting to go to nashville is going to be you know a destination trip for a lot of folks um you know the stadium isn't great there, but it's 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 a great place to visit. You know, you had my you had my alma mater toward the bottom of the list, but let's say you get an October uh, football game in Lexington. There are a few places that are better than like Central Kentucky in October. There's something about the air. You could do the Bourbon Trail tour. Uh, Keeneland is in session, and there's you know few racetracks in America that have that have the view that Keeneland has, um, you know, just a unique atmosphere. So um, it's a lot of new opportunities for, for OU and Texas fans, for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Jeff, what, what's been your favorite uh, trip in the SEC for a game, whether it be, uh, you know, a, a game that you went to for work purposes or uh, just, just personally? 
uh, anything yeah. like that? Um, you know, I, I covered, you know, I'm one of the rare breeds, uh, you know, Kentucky being the basketball school that it is. I never wanted to cover. I mean, I covered basketball, but I never really wanted to. Like football was the beat I always wanted in college um, more because you could tell a lot of stories and I always loved football. But going to Georgia was always Always, always a fun trip because it's one of those quintessential college towns. I mean, it's right up there with Chapel Hill for me. And, you know, you have anytime you can be on a field and there's a ma- like a live mascot standing like five feet away from you. I think that's kind of cool. And like so standing next to Ugga on a field, that's kind of that's a memory that's seared in my seared in my mind. And that was you know, I'm trying to think how long ago it was that I was in Athens for a football game. It might have been uh, like 04, 03, something like that. So a long time ago because I'm an old man now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's so many good trips. Um, you know, and some of my favorite games that I've been to either um, as a uh, reporter or um, as a fan involved Lexington, like, I've been to both crazy LSU games in Lexington. I was uh, this is like before I um, joined our college newspaper uh, in 2002, the the Bluegrass Miracle game. I was in the upper deck for that and just watched that whole thing unfold. And that was that was uh, a bananas game. And, um, you know, five years later is when uh, Kentucky beat LSU when they were number one heading into, you know, their title title run so uh you have great memories everywhere i you know i kind of wish i'd gotten to go to oxford at some point kentucky never played them um when i was around down there but you know if if we do an sec west sec east setup um and ou is paired up with ole miss that's not a terrible drive i mean that's not i mean i i'd have to do the math real quick but i don't think it's that that much of a difference than driving to Ames right now. And the tailgating atmosphere at Oxford is going to be a lot different, I think, than Ames. So that's another thing to look forward to. There's history there. There's Archie Manning. Uh, I mean, all these schools have something about them, whether, you know, they're competing at the highest level at the moment or not. But Mississippi State's unique. I mean, you may not want to spend a weekend voluntarily in Starkville, but, um, you know, the cowbells, adds to that college flavor so and as you said ryan like you like the barbecue down there yeah one of the best uh pre-game meals i've ever had was in starkville uh at a, a barbecue joint there where the, the media relations department said hey just go into this place tell them you're covering the mississippi state game and that's your pre-game meal it was a, a fantastic uh, spot for sure a pretty sweet gig if you can get that <laughs> yeah no doubt and by the way jeff i was looking at the list that uh i think it was you put together a couple days ago about distance to norman oh yeah yeah the big 12 cities versus sec and yeah oxford is just a little bit closer to norman than ames ames checks in at 597 miles oxford 560 so uh yeah, yeah that's right a, that. Although it's funny, you, you know, you said that the the tailgating in in Oxford is much different than the tailgating in Ames. I was talking about this with somebody the other day. Iowa State's tailgating is the best in the league, I think, in the Big Twelve. 
No. That's I, another ranking thing that we'll probably have in the coming <laughs> weeks as well is yeah, having some of our having some of our pals on the SEC side kind of uh, give us the heads up on the best tailgate options in the SEC. But, yeah, but to me, Ole Miss is number one by far in that regard. The Grove is an incredible spot. The the square there in Oxford is is really cool. And that that whole area really hops on game day. People get dressed up to just to go tailgating. It's a little bit different uh, vibe uh, down there than than it is in Norman. So that that will be really cool. I've got to experience that a couple times with a a football trip. Actually, I think I've been to Oxford for for, for football, basketball, and baseball. Um, you know, back in the days when. Uh, we used to travel uh, everywhere for all sports, pretty much. Uh, got got to, to spend a weekend down there for a three-game series in Oxford and saw uh, one of the craziest sequences on the baseball field I've ever seen. But uh, we'll uh, save that uh, for for later. Just looking at the the list of SEC cities. You know, weirdly enough, there's there's only a couple of them that I haven't been to at all. Uh, I've never been to Gainesville, and weirdly enough, I've never been to Columbia, Missouri. Um, all the other ones I have at least been to uh, for either a game or uh, spent a little bit of time there for other reasons. The only one I the only other one I haven't actually seen a game at. Uh, and I'm talking about football or basketball because there's some I haven't been to for football, but uh, is South Carolina. Uh, never been to a, a, a Gamecocks game down there. That's that's, that's very – it's an underrated game day atmosphere for sure. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, you know reading stuff for my rankings and wanting to feel like I had a, a good sense of, of spots, especially the ones I hadn't been to, and – Always heard great things uh, about uh, Williams Bryce Stadium down there, but you know to hear about them having to put shock absorbers uh, under the upper deck to keep it from from moving as much. I think it still moves uh, pretty significantly. Um, it, it is pretty cool, and just the the vibe around that area seems like a, a really neat place. Uh, when we're talking though about football atmospheres, once you get in the stadium. You know, I had LSU number one, uh, been there uh, for one game um, uh, in, uh, I think it was 2005, Arkansas and LSU played uh, down there the day after Thanksgiving. It was a fantastic game. Uh, Arkansas uh, cut the lead down late, uh, wound up, uh, LSU wound up winning 19 to 17 that LSU team was ranked number three in the country at the time, but uh, just a really cool place, a really cool environment. And even better, I'm told on a Saturday night, cause that was a, a Saturday game that I think can't remember if it was 11 o'clock game or an early afternoon game. Uh, but it was certainly not the kind of atmosphere that uh, death Valley can be at six o'clock on a Saturday night when everybody in the stadium virtually has spent all day drinking, getting ready. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's a different atmosphere down, down in Baton Rouge. That's for sure. 
Yeah, it is. And I, I'm also told you can like basically smell the the bourbon in the air uh, at kickoff about that time. And actually, I was reading some stuff today that uh, they're going to be serving alcohol at the Rose Bowl this year. LSU making a trip to play UCLA and some of the LSU people were saying, hey, you better better make sure you have plenty stocked up there, Rose Bowl folks. <laughs> That's uh, well, I think somebody was saying something along those lines with the College World Series this year with Mississippi State coming <laughs> to Omaha. <laughs> that they could clean out the place. So, um, yeah, it's it's a ton of passionate fan bases. Um, you know, it's it's like it's like going to a family reunion for the first time, and, you know, in your life, and you just see all these distant cousins. And I kind of think that's what it's going to be like for for OU joining joining the SEC. Now, obviously, there have been battles in the past, but I think uh, I think a lot of fans, you know, even on the other side for for the you know SEC fan bases, I think they're looking forward to it too. I mean, it's uh, a trip to come to, you know, greater OKC, trip to go to Austin, um, you know, to see how like a Kentucky could match up in football against uh, against Texas would be, you know, interesting. Um, some of those mid-tier SEC programs see Texas right now and they're like, all right, let's let's see what happens. Um, Texas haven't been, what, five games over 500 in the last decade or so. And Big 12 play, you know, that's not scaring anybody. Um, so yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a very interesting and very fun, um, you know, rollout into the SEC. Whenever that happens, we're gonna guess it ends up being 2022, but you never know. Yeah, I, I think it's gonna happen sooner rather than later. But it's it's crazy looking around and uh, talking about OU fans going to these SEC. Uh, locales, uh, the SEC fans coming to, to Norman and Austin. It's crazy to me how few games OU has played against a lot of these SEC teams. I mean, Alabama, they played them a, a fair amount six times, uh, but most of those are bowl games. They've only played, OU has only visited Tuscaloosa once in 03. Uh, Alabama's only visited Norman once in 02. Crazy to think that it was that long ago, but like Arkansas. Uh, crazy that OU's only played Arkansas 15 times during their history. And, uh, you know, they haven't played in, in Norman since 1926. OU hasn't played in Fayetteville since 1918. So more than 100 years uh, at, at this point. And, you know, you would have thought at some point OU and Arkansas would have hooked up for a non-conference series. But that just hasn't been the case. Uh I mean, isn't that kind of the story of the regional, you know, rivals in football? It's like, oh, well, you know, you'd like to see those border teams play more often, but it doesn't really happen as often as you think. Um, you know, I'm thinking thinking back home to like Kentucky and Indiana. Um, you know, they discontinued that series like 15 years ago. Um, you know, Kentucky and any of the Ohio schools that aren't in the MAC, like they never play. So, like, I I think that's, I mean. It, for for you as someone who's lived in both states now, I mean, I gotta figure like the folks in Arkansas are really looking forward to that, and I would guess the folks in Oklahoma as well should look forward to that because that's gonna be that's gonna be the closest trip. Yeah, no doubt, and and Fayetteville is a a fantastic spot too. 
if you've never been there, I'd, I'd highly recommend uh, folks checking it out. And I can't remember, Jeff, have you ever been to Fayetteville? No. So when we were talking about doing all this ranking stuff, um, the three current SEC cities that I haven't been to are uh, College Station, uh, Fayetteville, and Oxford. And that's, you know, that's it. But, um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to go to Fayetteville for for football or basketball at some point. Yeah, I definitely, definitely need to make that trip. Uh, just uh, going down some of the other SEC uh, cities and, and reviewing OU's history with them. You know, OU has played uh, Auburn uh, a couple times, both in bowls. Most recently, the uh, Sugar Bowl after the 2016 season uh, that, that OU won down there. Of course, that was Bob Stoops' last game uh, down there. Um, uh, you know, on and on and on with the programs that they just haven't uh, faced off against uh, much. OU and Florida have only played a couple times, both times uh, in bowl games. The Swamp would be a really interesting spot to watch a game. You always hear about that atmosphere down there and uh, the, the, the people there. And I, I think that that's going to be one that's going to be really fun once OU finally uh, makes that trip, whenever it is, you know, let's hope that the SEC scheduling is a little bit more uh, balanced than it is right now, where you've got some places that uh, teams haven't visited in almost a decade or even more. Um, I, I yeah. think it's going to be the case that it's going to get get a little bit more even out, uh, regardless of which way they go, whether it's the pods or the, the two divisions. OU and Georgia have only played once. OU, yeah. <laughs> you know, that Rose Bowl a couple years ago that, of course, was one of the all-time classic uh, college football games. OU's never played between the hedges. And, uh, you know, Athens is a fantastic spot, too. That's one of the places I haven't spent much time at. Just went to a basketball game there, and it was sort of a fly-in, fly-out kind of deal. But uh, Athens is a really cool city with a really cool vibe. Uh, I, I think that's a trip that – a lot of folks on the OU side are, are going to really uh, circle on their calendars and, and look forward to. Um, I don't think, well, o, OU's played LSU uh, three times, all in bowls, a couple times in the Sugar Bowl uh, down there, and then, of course, the, the Peach Bowl a couple years ago that all uh, OU fans probably want to forget about as quickly as they can. Uh, o, OU has only played... Uh, Ole Miss the once, and that was the 99 uh, Independence Bowl, the uh, Deuce McAllister game, that uh, Bob Stoops' first, first bowl game, that the Rebels uh, beat the Sooners 27-25, a uh, fantastic game down there on the eve of Y2K. Uh, remember that game. Uh, it was my first bowl game to cover, actually. Um, but it, it's, it, yeah, it's it's just crazy thinking how close some of these places are yet how little history and connection there are between the schools and and now we're going to see that uh you know change in a very major way yeah i I, i'm curious so which trip are you most looking forward to and which one would you least look forward to oh gosh i mean talk strictly football Spending like a couple nights in wherever. 
okay, and, and we're talking about just the every everything that goes along with that, not just the football. Everything, yeah, not not just showing up at the stadium a couple hours ahead of kickoff. Oh gosh, I mean, you know, I love Nashville. Nashville's a great city, um, but I probably. Um, that, that's a really difficult one just because there's so many that are great. I'd probably say Athens uh, in, in Georgia just to be able to experience uh, the Athens, the city, you know, so much musical history from, from there and, uh, you know, REM, things like that. Um, and, and then just the, the football environment that's fantastic. Uh, Florida's another one. Uh, but I'll pro- actually uh, I'll, I'll say LSU because I, I think the the history and tradition uh, that that program has, coupled with the fact that uh, LSU is where it is, and I love Cajun food. Get a chance to you know eat some crawfish and crawfish etouffee, uh, baby, all eat, day. <laughs> crawfish etouffee is one of my favorite meals ever. Get a chance to to have that uh, down there and uh, really enjoy it. And then that atmosphere, the the game day atmosphere down there is uh, absolutely nuts. You know, there's not many programs nationally that can match up with OU when you talk about history and tradition. But uh, certainly they've got a a few uh, in the SEC that uh, either are right there or come awfully close. And LSU is one of them. So uh, that LSU trip will be fun. But there's a lot of great ones. Um, you know, Tennessee, I had a great time at a few years ago when OU went there. Had one of my uh, favorite meals uh, that I've had at a, on a road football road trip ever at a place that was recommended by Andy Staples uh, of The Athletic. And I think at the time it was at Sports Illustrated. Of course, the the uh, bourbon uh, and, and whiskey that you get there uh, certainly uh, doesn't uh, hurt that at all either. But uh, a lot of great trips and probably least looking forward to. It, it's got to be Mississippi State. I mean, you, you look at everything else that surrounds a, a football road trip. And even like Vanderbilt, at least you're in Nashville and you get to experience that and go to Printer's Row and uh, all everything that Nashville has to offer. Um, but Mississippi State, even though I've had a really good pregame meal there, you're still in, in uh, a part of the country that to me isn't uh, the most fun. And, and certainly Starkville, uh, when you talk about SEC cities, ranks uh either at the bottom or very close to the bottom yeah all right so one more i guess maybe we close out the segment this you know one of the things that makes college sports you know what it is and so great is is the history and the rivalries so which trip say this is the last dance uh for ou and texas in the big 12 this year which trip are you gonna miss the most I mean, there's there's also some really good ones in uh, in the Big 12 for a lot of reasons. And I know you guys love Ames or at least going to Des Moines. Yeah, I mean, that to me is the one that stands out. It 
can be a pain getting there at times because there's generally no good flight options uh, to to get to to get to Des Moines. So we wind up driving, and it's a long drive. But the great thing is, if you plan it out, great. You get some uh, time in Kansas City, and you get to eat at my favorite uh, food stop in the Big Twelve, which is Fong's Pizza in uh, Des Moines. There's a couple of locations. They have one in Ankeny and uh, I think Grand Rapids might be the other one, but uh, it's a Chinese pizza spot, which sounds really weird, but it works absolutely. It's so so amazing. good, man! It's so so it, good. It it's so good. The the crab rangoon pizza, the uh, orange Sass, chicken Sass, pizza, yeah. general so, yeah. all that stuff. Um, but I'd probably put Iowa State there at the top of the list, and and in West Virginia. I mean, West Virginia is just so different from all the other Big 12 schools and cities in Morgan, there in Morgantown. And you get Pittsburgh on top of that, which I always had this vision of Pittsburgh as this sort of like dank, gray, smoggy type of place. But you come out of the, the tunnel there coming from the airport, the Fort Pitt tunnel, and you're just right in the middle of downtown. And it's one of the most breathtaking moments uh that I've had on a, a road trip. So uh, there's, you know, every big 12 city, I, I think has something charming about it and, and things I like about those trips. But to me, Iowa state and, and West Virginia are going to be the two that I'll miss the most. And, you know, hopefully we can uh, figure out reasons to get to those, that part of the country uh, uh, for other things at some point or they schedule non-conference games at those spots but we'll we'll see what happens for sure let's pour one out for our old familiar road trips for sure yeah it, it's uh gonna be a different reality for a lot of reasons a whole lot more flying trips a whole lot more uh long drives and stuff like that but i i think it's gonna be fun gonna be interesting to watch, see what the timing is, see what the schedules wind up being and how they uh, lay that out and, and when OU is able to, to finally get in the Big 12. At least we get uh, a little uh, taste of SEC country this year, not against an SEC opponent, but get to go down to uh, New Orleans for uh, their plan to lay in there to open the season. Uh, that'll be interesting. But, you know, it'll also be interesting to see what OU does with its non-conference schedule here moving forward. They've got some years that are all all filled up, but they've got some years that are going to be have some openings there with uh, SEC opponents on the docket. Uh, you know, OU's got Georgia scheduled in, in 2023 uh, at, at home and then much later, 2031 uh, on the road. They've got Tennessee at home in 2024. Uh, they were uh, on the verge of scheduling a, a Tennessee game, rescheduling a Tennessee game in Norman that was supposed to be played last year. Uh, you know, we'll see. I, I don't think that'll ever happen because I think it'll happen as part of the the move to the SEC. But then they've got that LSU schedule series that's been scheduled for a long time in 2027-28. And it's weird thinking that 2027 and 28 are not too incredibly far away when we're talking about basketball or uh, football 
season-wise uh, down the road. So should should be some fun trips for sure, and we'll uh, we'll talk much more about them and much more about OU's move to the SEC here, especially as we get a little bit more clarity about that what that's going to look like. But we're going to wrap it up there on the Sooners Extra podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. You can check out our work every day at Oklahoman.com and every morning in the Oklahoman for the best OU coverage anywhere.